I can do things that wear it without asking anybody, even my Coney wife. Coney Island, world's biggest barrel of fun. And anywhere else your imagination takes you. Okay, we've done that now, Mark. You get the whole show now, you hurry, hurry, hurry. Anything's possible at Disneyland. Welcome aboard the Themed Attraction Podcast, where we take you for a ride through the wonderful world of theme park design, that is. You've just set sail for another high-flying adventure of discovery and discussion with theme park industry masters of the craft. I'm your skipper, Freddie Martin, and floating the river with me, as always, is theme park designer, master planner, and chief creative officer for Storyland Studios, Mel McGowan. Which way's the river taking us today, Mel? Uh, hey there, Freddie. Well, we're thrilled to have Linda Alcorn, a groundbreaking theme park show control engineer with over four decades of experience bringing some of our favorite experiences to life. Linda was the first female electronic engineer at WED Enterprises, playing a pivotal role in shaping iconic projects like Epcot and pavilions in Canada, France, and China. Her journey continued under Disney legend Don Iwerks and the Disney Studio in Burbank, supporting World Expo 86 projects and later contributing to the initial design and installation teams of Disney MGM Studios, Euro Disney, and Magic Kingdom. Wow, that says a lot. She was named a TEA master a couple years back. That's cool. And she deserves it. She was literally responsible for 50% of all the show control systems across Walt Disney World. And that says a lot. All righty, folks, keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the boat because this episode is about to leave the dock. Hit it, Sam. Mel, I know I make a bit of a mountain out of a molehill with my time at the Disneyland Navy shooting hippos and cracking wise, but did I ever tell you that I worked at the Tiki Room? This is the first. I had no idea. Uh, really? You got on the land side of Adventureland. Yeah, yeah. The the land side of Adventureland. When I wasn't uh, knee deep in green water, I was um, working in the Tiki Room. And uh, well, I was always fascinated by the Tiki Room and the setup in that space. Uh, most guests don't know, but a lot of uh, theme park designers and nerds do know that right underneath the feet of all the audience is a big room full of computers. And they're those big giant banks of computers that uh, with with uh, with real to real data uh, controlling those uh, the the birds that sing words and all the tiki's and all that stuff. And, but what was fascinating to me is all of that stuff down there, which by the way, I'm sure all of those computers right now could be controlled with an iPod mini. I'm guessing that's enough data uh, to fit in my pocket, but it was so simple that the show control left up to a 17 year old kid in a Hawaiian shirt was to just push the button, just click go and then everything comes to life and does its does its magic and show control it it, it seems simple to me but it po- can't possibly have been simple to the people who developed it it takes a lot of effort to uh uh, no offense to casters to dummy proof it though. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, yeah. And, uh, it, yeah, simplicity, uh, and elegance, uh, is, is really kind of the, uh, a mark of excellence with, uh, engineers. Right. And, uh, it takes a lot of brain damage to get there to that simple solution. 
Yeah, we really do. We rely on those folks when designing a project that they're going to find all of those uh, those hidden those hidden lefts and rights, zeros and ones that are going to make it possible for the ride or the attraction or the show to go without a hitch. Um, now, as you think about designing the projects, especially that uh, you're working on right now, some pretty incredible, uh, high, highly immersive and highly uh, innovative projects. What are some of the new technologies, show elements, uh, uh, bells and whistles that you're looking forward to seeing in uh, skilled show control engineer stuff that's going to be happening in the near future? You know, I had a chance to share um, recently at uh, a couple of gatherings. Um, you know, we're really obviously excited about the potential of, uh, you know, these LED surfaces, whether it's, uh, you know, fully controlled uh, interior dome like show buildings. Um, you know, it's one thing to see those uh, projected clouds in Pirates of the Caribbean and <laughs> right. to fully into forgetting that you're you're inside. But it's a completely different thing if, if anyone's had a chance to experience uh, the sphere, uh, either uh, the postcards or the U2 show to really just understand how, you know, you can blur the lines of reality of indoors, outdoors, of space and time. It really is a, a powerful transformational experience it almost reminded me of what you know a, a medieval surf would have felt stepping foot into his first gothic cathedral you know that fusion <laughs> of art music architecture into to really a, a powerful uh kind of narrative uh and emotional uh aesthetic experience um but yeah i mean obviously that's a powerful technology again both on the inside of again show buildings on the on the certainly on the outsides we we just had a chance to work on a stadium uh that uh, has been revealed recently, um, you know, a different version, but, you know, it's a stadium completely wrapped in LEDs, uh, you know, on, on the side of a cliff in, in Saudi Arabia. So, you know, again, the ability to almost make the building disappear, come to life as this kind of cyberpunk Blade Runner city. I mean, it's really kind of, uh, it changes the nature of architecture and form making and image making. Um, another uh, technology that, you know, we're really excited to really be spearheading and leading up is this level of, uh, of real time, uh, rendering in terms of, uh, character animation. Again, it, it's a, I'd say it's, uh, it's an actual revolution in animation, frankly. Um, you know, for, I don't want to go down too far down a rabbit hole, but for those that, <laughs> you know, that are, you know, used to understanding video game rendering engines, they, you know, pro products like unreal that allow you to render these settings in real time they're really pretty compelling pretty powerful but um you know in terms of character and character design in video games there's a big difference between a real-time rendered character in a video game for example versus uh say a pixar movie in terms of yeah, that, right. that emotional connection the realism and again this this uh platform that we're creating called ozone that uh is kind of one of our sister uh, companies, it really is kind of a, a game changer in terms of, again, bringing, uh, having a digital character that is rendered, uh, that uh, could be rendered once, uh, it could be rendered in real time, and that same asset basically can live in a video game, it can live on a feature film, can live in a TV show, it can live on a website, it could live in augmented reality as a layer uh, in physical reality. So it's really just a game changer and it, you know, without getting too far in the weeds, right. Um, the, the level of interactivity and kind of, uh, you know, again, real time interaction with 
characters that we all know and love, I think is really going to be uh, powerful. So can't wait to see. Uh, yeah, I'm blown away. It's just going to be so exciting to see that and uh, see it come to life in a way that nobody has. I don't think anybody's expecting, especially the general pub- public. They're not expecting what is on the horizon. And uh, I, I think, you know, one of the key elements in that, one of the key players is going to be show control and making sure that that works every time on time as it should. Well, our guest today is retired WDI show control technical director, Linda Alcorn. Linda is a 40 plus year Imagineering veteran who was part of the landmark Epcot project in the 70s and 80s. Eventually, Linda became a sole local show control presence at WDI Florida, and she raised up a talented team, Generations Worth, who contributed around half of the show control systems across all of that mini nation they call Walt Disney World. And now, recorded live at the Storyland Studios Blue Sky booth at IAPA Expo 2023, it's our themed attraction podcast interview with Walt Disney Imagineering veteran, retired show-controlled technical director, Linda Alcorn. Well, welcome aboard the Themed Attraction Podcast. I'm your skipper, Freddie Martin, and I will be bringing you along on a fantastic journey of discovery with theme park industry masters of the craft. Welcome to the Storyland Blue Sky booth here at IAPA 2023. We have an exciting interview planned for you with Linda Alcorn. So today, please, uh, if you'd like to fill in some seats here, you're welcome. Uh, don't feel shy to join us here. Well, we're excited to have you, Linda. <laughs> Just um, the, Linda's story is as big as all of Walt Disney World. As we get into this, you're going to uh, very quickly understand. Oops, my here we go. You're going to very quickly understand that uh, Linda's hands have been on almost every bit of show control. Are we all right? Should I switch out? Well, we're good. Her hands have been on at least half of all the show control currently in uh, Walt Disney World and all the way back into the past. So uh, this is somebody who, if you know have a favorite attraction, you likely have a, uh, a memory to share with Linda after we're done. Well, Linda, welcome aboard. We're so glad you could be here with us and uh, just want to dive right in to your career. I, you know, many of us are start as fans. We start as fans of these theme parks and, and a lot of times with Disney because we, you know, that first trip to Disneyland is super important. What was the spark that brought you to a career in Imagineering? Well, I have to say, my parents were very indulgent, and I grew up in Los Angeles. You can get a little closer, sorry. Okay. That's all right. Okay. And I grew up in Los Angeles, um, and I got to go to Disneyland a lot, and I just loved it. I was It was the best place on earth, and uh, I always wanted to be Imagineer. I never, ever wanted to be anything else, and as luck would have it, uh, when I was graduating from engineering school from UCLA, that's when they just to uh, to uh, hire for wed and uh, so I you want to trade ordinary. microphones sorry about that you just got started at wed just got started at wed <laughs> and uh, I, I was 
fortunate enough to go in there. They hadn't interviewed anybody else yet. I was the very first one in. I was very unqualified, <laughs> um, but uh, they, they were kind enough. They knew I knew, wanted it really, really bad. And so they, they, let, they gave me a, an offer for a, an entry engineering position. This is uh, circa late 70s, 78, still bell-bottom era, if I recall. <laughs> no, not quite. Not quite, okay. <laughs> uh, but it was, uh, uh, the interview was in late 1978. And I began very early in 1979, January. Wow. How big uh, would you guess that was the Epcot team back then? Um, it was just getting started. So in terms of electronic engineering, which is the, uh, the organization that I joined. As um, opposed to electrical engineering. As opposed to electrical <laughs> engineering, yes. Um, so the electronic engineering group probably consisted of about, I would say, maybe 10 engineers at that point in time. And the entire group, including the support staff, would eventually grow to about 200 at the maximum. Wow. So uh, you, there, the statistics are a little bit vague, but it appears that you were the first female engineer at Disney and then the, definitely the first elect, electronic engineer uh, for the Epcot group, right? I was the first one hired for the Epcot. Her first one hired. Right. So I would, yeah, what was it like to be working as the one, that one female among 800 uh, men on construction? What's that like? Well, in the, in the beginning, we weren't on a construction site because uh, we, we hadn't broken ground. When I very first was hired, um, nobody knew what to do with me. <laughs> um, and I deliberately didn't know how to type because I would have become a secretary because that's just the role that women had back then. And right. Nobody was being mean, it was just they just didn't know. But I couldn't type, so they had to give me some technical work. Oh, that's great. Did you, did you think you were going, uh, engineering was a focus for you? you? That's what you went to school for, right? Yeah, that's a funny story, too. <laughs> I, I wish I could say that it was all planned out. My father was an engineer, uh, but I still remember I was filling out my college applications. I was sitting at the dining room table. I was on a manual typewriter, and I got to the UCLA application, and it said, well, you know, what do you think you maybe like to do? And it was completely almost random. <laughs> and I clicked engineering. I had no idea that that meant that I was going to be put in the school of engineering, that I was going to be given the, the most rigorous uh, classes in terms of chemistry and physics and calculus and so on. I didn't do very well, <laughs> but, but I knew that I wanted to be an Imagineer. I knew I wanted to do that, so I just stuck with it. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. So that uh, Imagineering naming convention really affected your <laughs> career trajectory yes <laughs> that's great so you didn't you didn't uh have your sights set on being a, a tia master someday that was just uh gravy oh no, oh, no that was just gravy, <laughs> <laughs> was just gravy. <laughs> so you started uh working on epcot and what were some of the first projects that were handed to you for show control uh the first two that i had uh were the canada pavilion and World of Motion. Okay. And in those days, basically, you were given a big one, which was World of Motion, and a smaller one, which was Canada, which is the theater show. Yeah. but Well, I mean, I, I imagine both of those are far more complicated than just 
an easy one and a hard one. Uh, a Canada can't have been that simple. Um, no, it was it was the first uh, theater show that came online, and we we were coming right down to the wire. Ah. So the first time that we hit a button in the theater and we actually got the audio to play, which was being sourced from someplace about half a mile away, <laughs> um, it was. I, th I think it was less than two months before opening. Wow, wow. So it's definitely a nail biter. <laughs> I got to ask you to give for our listeners that uh, may not be as familiar with the original World of Motion ride, kind of the predecessor to the test track, how, how epic of a scale that was in terms of the number of animatronics and yeah, I scenes and, I mean... Yeah, it was huge, and uh, I think it had the more animatronic figures than any other attraction in the park. Out doing even Pirates of the Caribbean, right? I mean, it's yeah, it was more crazy. than Pirates of the Caribbean. I've, I've I've worked on Pirates of the Caribbean many times too. <laughs> That's a different path. Wow. So as far as show control, let's uh, let's use World of Motion as an example. A very uh, a large animatronics and uh, uh, a track ride. How does that as far as your job, how do you integrate and how do you approach that project? Um, well, one they, thing the, the creatives know what they want to see happen. The the uh, they know how to build the animatronics. But what is the what is the work that your uh, specific discipline has to do to make sure everything goes in on time, on on time? <laughs> well. One of the things that they teach you in engineering school is how to solve problems. Yes. And the way to solve problems is to break them down into little pieces. And it's very much the same thing with a show control system. And so you break it down and you break it down until you've, instead of having 300 figures, you've got five in a given scene. And you have a specific cabinet that's designed to control those and just those. Mm. And then that's part of a larger system that coordinates the entire attraction. Okay. Yeah. That, that's great. Um, well, after five years at WED, you got through the opening. Any uh, horror stories or <laughs> kind of in the trenches stories of getting to that October 1st where the, the 21st century began on October 1st, 1982? Well, as I said, we, we, we came pretty close. It was, it, it was more of a dirt pile a couple of months before our opening than it was an operating partner. <laughs> and a there was a sinkhole in the middle of it. Um, I love walking over that sinkhole. That, that's my favorite bridge, <laughs> it's to well, Odyssey. It's well hidden. Um, yeah. I, so just a few, uh, a few, I assume a few non-nine-to-five days. Yeah, we were working every waking hour, basically. The only time I took off was to do the laundry, literally. <laughs> so it was, it was 80, 90 hour weeks easy. Um, you would sleep until early in the morning, and then we had radios. And yeah. so you'd sign on in the morning, and then somebody would hear you and tell you where you had to go the first thing that day, and off you went. As a, as a Disneyland fan... Are, were you excited to be working with some of those folks who had worked under Walt Disney himself? And were there any of those that stood out to you as good friends or mentors along the way? Certainly um, in the uh, art direction part, there were some wonderful people like Claude Coates and so on and so yeah. forth. Um, 
one thing that I remember from those days, though, because sometimes we'd go over to the studio for meetings. Yeah. And there was Walt's conference room, and it hadn't changed a bit. Yeah. And still, people were still asking, what would Walt have done? Oh, wow. After all those years later, and this, this is in the early 80s at that point. So wow. he, he was, had quite the influence still. Wow. That's amazing. I don't want to go out of, out of sequence, but at what point did uh, uh, Steve uh, Alcorn enter into the picture? Was that during this, this tenure at, uh, uh, at Wet Imagineering? Or? Oh, it went much earlier than oh, that. Oh, really? Okay. He, he, he was the instructor, one of the dance instructors at the Beverly Hills Cotillion. Uh, which is a sort of an antiquated concept. I, you, you're laughing. I guess you've heard of a cotillion. Yes. But, um, so I met him there. Classy. And uh, we, we, we went to proms together and things like that. Oh, my and goodness. So, He's a high school sweetheart. Yep. And then, we, and then we got married right before I graduated from college. That's wow, great. amazing. For uh, Steve Alcorn, of course, written a couple books on theme park design, engineering, building a mouse, and uh, Alcorn McBride, of course, uh, an anchor uh, business uh, is one of the founding uh, members of the Themed Entertainment Association. But uh, wow, that's a, that's a sweet story. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so five years, uh, Epcot opens. You go from building Disney's uh, first permanent World's Fair to an actual World's Fair. Yes. World Expo, 86 yes. Vancouver. Yes. Um, so uh, after, I, after I left WED, uh, I transferred over to the Disney Studio. And the Disney Studio had contracts with Bob Rogers to yep. do four pavilions up, up in uh, Vancouver. And Bob was doing the creative work, of course, and we were providing the control systems and the projection systems and so on. So that was, that was two years. Very, very good opportunity for me. One of the, I mean, arguably one of the most influential uh, attractions, I'd say, in the industry, that, that uh, Spirit Lodge. Stunning, isn't it? And unfortunately, it's not, uh, you know, that was obviously for an expo, limited run. Unfortunately, the, the predecessor, Mystery Lodge at Knott's, is no longer with us. Uh, apparently, some parts are hard to manufacture. But uh, can you just share, uh, for those that haven't experienced, the, the gist of that experience? What it was about? Um, Spirit Lodge was just the most amazing show. And I, I'm so pleased to have been able to work on that because it's, it's sheer magic, but it's actually a very, very simple effect, yeah, yeah. which I won't mention, but it's, it's just done perfectly. And for those who are not familiar with it, uh, it's, it's an old Indian that just comes on an almost empty stage and there's a fire pit on the stage and he starts telling stories and the smoke from the fire gradually, gradually forms into shapes of the things that he's talking about. And then, it, and then uh, at the end, I, as I recall, uh, he, he's talking about an eagle and he holds up his hand and the smoke eagle lands on his hand. And then the, uh, he's, I think he's holding a stick and then all of a sudden the stick falls over and he's gone. Yeah, it's amazing that all the biggie tickets today from Harry Potter to Rise of Star Wars, Rise of the Resistance are still using a version of that 18th century magician's trick. It's yep. really the, the perfect blend of art, science, really alchemy to create that, that yeah. magic. If, you, if you're not careful, it doesn't look good, but, but Bob was and it was just stunning. 
Did you know that the human brain is wired for story? It's why Storyland Studios places story at the heart of everything we do. Storyland Studios is a full-service experience design and strategy firm that imagines, designs, and creates story-driven experiences that lift the spirit. Inspired by the design principles of the original Walt Disney Imagineers, our award-winning team collaborates closely to provide strategic design solutions that will help bring your ideas to life. Through strategic experience design, immersive storytelling, and exceptional service, we imagine with you, design beside you, and create world-class experiences and destinations that are enjoyed by millions of guests and visitors on every habitable continent around the globe. Connect with the team at Storyland Studios to get started building your impossible dream today. Visit StorylandStudios.com or call now, 800-218-1932. That's 800-218-1932. Storyland Studios. Imagine. Design. Create. That, that's that's fantastic. I talk about how uh, the, some of the other areas of Walt Disney World, Disneyland that you worked on. For instance, the uh, the MGM Studios. Uh, you were you you were part of that opening team. I'm I imagine. I was yes. Yeah. Um, that was kind of a funny one because on a lot of projects there is one that gets bigger and badder and further behind uh, uh-huh. that requires a very large team to work on. So for Epcot, that was American Adventure. Yes. Uh, and for the studio, that was the Epic Stunt Theater. Uh-huh. And so we had pretty much every special effects house in Hollywood working on it, bringing in various effects. And so I worked on the team that primarily was responsible for doing the controls of all of those effects. And it was very different than what we normally had been doing because that is really a combination of show playback and live theater. Wow. And so you had to have a very carefully designed control board that allowed a stage manager to watch the actor to make sure he wasn't going to get into trouble because a lot of those things were dangerous if you weren't in the right position. Yes. And so, uh, yeah, that was it was a completely new architecture. It was very interesting. We just had a chance to interview your fellow TM master, Phil, Philip Vaughn, yes. uh, who I think was a producer on that, uh-huh. that uh-huh. very show. And that was uh, quite a story. Yeah. Uh, still running today. Yeah. Epic spectacular. Yeah, they, they took my control system out a long time ago, but that's okay. Yeah. It's actually part of it sitting in my front hall. Uh, really? <laughs> What's it controlling? Your Christmas lights? No. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the type of thing you take away uh, as a souvenir from. Uh, is it, you you oh, don't no. you don't take the Indiana Jones hat. You take the show control. Well, when, when can I look for that on eBay? <laughs> <laughs> well, a- actually, it was it was obtained legally because what, what happened was <laughs> it went through property control and it was sold to a company that buys this sort of thing and then resells them. And so, as a Christmas present, my husband traced <laughs> traced it down for me. So, wow, so I have the bill of sale in it to this present. point. <laughs> that, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, so as your uh, you you just. Uh, recently were honored with a TEA master uh, or as a TEA master. And that's, that's fantastic. That's part of the reason so many of us are here is because of the themed entertainment association, gathering people on a regular basis and, and sharing in the industry. How have you been involved with the TEA and how have you, uh, 
contributed to the organization along the way? Um, I, I haven't really been involved with the Masters as much as I should have because I was inducted along with the beginning of the pandemic. Yes, that's right. And so uh, we have been meeting uh, via Zoom for years now. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, this morning, I just met people for breakfast that I have never, never seen in person. Never met them So, you know, I try to participate in, in things that you could do online, like some, some uh, instructional videos and things like that. Uh, but, and again, I live in Florida and the majority of the folks are in California. So. Yeah. Yeah, we just love networking that you're able to get between a variety of disciplines, variety of companies, uh, most of the time, you end up being able to help one another out. Okay. Uh, yeah, I am. I am retired, so yes. I'm not. I'm, I don't really have skin in the game anymore. <laughs> How, are you enjoying the retirement? You know, enjoying not having to think about every system across the entirety of, you know, two Manhattans. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I, I I have to admit. I mean, I retired about sixty, and I was I was starting to get tired. Yeah, and. With what I do, I, or did, uh, I was I was working on repairing show control systems uh, or, or replacing them all over the Walt Disney World property, and you can never get it wrong. Yeah, you can not get it wrong, mm. and, and it's a big property. And it's a big <laughs> There's a few show control systems on the property. So, so it it, it was nice. I felt like ten pounds had been taken off of my shoulders when I walked out the door. Uh, I had been very happy. I love the people. I miss the people. But there comes well, a time. This is only day three of IAP, and I'm feeling pretty tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, so thrilled and honored to be able to start to get your story out and continue with the Tia Masters recording we'll be doing. And Thank you. Uh, thanks for sharing your time. And, oh, and you're very what, a, what a legacy and impact. <laughs> That's awesome. It really, it really is. Um, do you mind telling us what's your favorite attraction to this day that you enjoy just for its, the the value that you as somebody who's seen it from behind the scenes? I'm gonna answer it a little bit differently. Okay, if I may. you're welcome to do that. Uh, <laughs> um, Disney has huge, incredible, wonderful attractions, um, but sometimes they can almost be overwhelming um, and what gave me the most pleasure was the really the small stuff. And there was a attraction, very small potatoes, $3 million, uh, that was done at the studio to promote one of the Narnia films. Oh. And so it was, it, it was very low budget, but there was a holding area and there were show doors that led into the theater. And so those were the wardrobe doors, and then they would open silently, and all of a sudden there was Narnia, and you walked through the doors, and you were actually inside Narnia. And so, number one, that was fun for me because it was a small show, so I got to have a lot more say in it. But also, number two, I went in there one morning, and I didn't realize that they'd started. Uh, they, they, they had just run one show through. And so... I walked in and there was the operations host with a family, just, just one family, and they had a son who was about 12 years old maybe, and he was on the outside of these doors that had closed and he was feeling the, the wood on, on the doors. And it turned out he was blind. 
and that was the they had talked to the operations person and they and that he was getting to experience Narnia that way and uh-huh. and that's why you do it that's why you that's do it magic I love it thank you so much Linda Alcorn let's give her a hand thank you so much for joining us uh, I want to I want to thank our guest Linda Alcorn and I also want to thank Sweetwater uh, who has provided the uh, technology for the Storyland Studios booth. We're super grateful for them because look at this. This is su- such a great booth, great, great space to hang out in as well. Got a- oh, they, they shut me off as soon as I thank them. Uh, now I want to thank Nate Naverson of Themed Attraction. That's where the Themed Attraction podcast comes in. And Barry Hill, our Dr. Barry Hill, I wish I thought of a joke about you right now, but can't come up with it at the moment. Uh, thank you very much. That's a first for Skipper Freddy right That's there. Right. That's right. That's right. Number one, I'll be number two. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. You know what I think is funny about our interview with Linda, or at least, you know, emo- emotionally compelling? We heard a lot about the technical side, the challenges, the triumphs of a career as, you know, a, a woman in a uh, what at the time was a man's industry. But what it all came down to for her in the end is that the story in the attraction is and how that impacted one family. And that's what's so meaningful to the work of people behind the scenes and the designers and the technicians and all the people that it takes to make these things happen. So, Mel, how true is it that no matter how much engineering expertise and pretty pictures and fun rides and special effects that we design, that how, how true is it that the most important part is how the guest responds to the story you're trying to tell? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Freddie. It really, you know, first of all, she's such a humble woman and um, the the power, you know, it wasn't the awards and the recognition and the boundaries that she pushed and the, even the, the master's designation for her, that, that, that impactful story of a family and a child being reached, you know, really does point to me, you know, that uh, in at least our little cottage industry, uh, it, the, it all starts with story. Uh, and again, character setting plot, that emotional resonance, uh, if you don't have that heart connection, um, and really everything else just helps facilitate that, frankly, you know, the, the technology, even the setting, um, you know, it, it really is just about, uh, you know, facilitating, getting the real world, getting all the, the noise and all the things that can go wrong with technology and facility out of the way so that you can make that heart connection uh, oh, yeah. through the power of story, spatial storytelling. Really yeah. Uh, inspiring. Yeah, and it's what keeps people coming back. Well, Mel, it's time to turn this leaky tiki around before Linda triggers the artificial living with the land rainstorm. So what do you say we head back to the dock? I want to see the rainstorm, man. I love that <laughs> thing. That's awesome. No, 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 no. I got, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. I don't want to get wet. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Until next time. Thanks, Mel. The Themed Attraction Podcast is hosted by Freddie Martin and Mel McGowan. We want you to know that we do not take your listening for granted. It means so much to us that you choose to listen. We want to put out more and more episodes, and it really helps when you share links to our show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We just really appreciate it and can't thank you enough. 
We want to thank our special guest, Linda Alcorn. It's such an honor to connect with the veterans of our business and learn from their vision and experience. Get access to new shows, stories, and interviews at themedattraction.com. Start your own profile, discuss the latest advancements, and interact with your fellow theme park designers around the world. Follow the action on Instagram and Twitter at Themed Attraction and join our active discussion group on LinkedIn. Connect with Mel by email via mel at storylandstudios.com or follow him on Twitter at Mel McGowan and Instagram at Visioneer. You can find me at freddymartin.net and follow my adventures at Skipper Freddy on Instagram and Twitter. Our theme music was composed by Rob Watson, other music provided by The Lost Dogs. This episode was designed and produced by the one and only Dr. Barry Hill. Barry is the publisher of Rivershore Press, maker of fine, absolutely beautiful books on parks and design. He's also the host of America's Disneylands, a podcast on the history of regional theme parks. Check out all the fun stories and history at americasdisneylands.com and find great books to read at rivershorepress.com. You know, Mel, Barry and I were hiking through the bush the other day and came upon a band of orangutan. We were marveling at their beautiful long red hair. As they moved through the jungle, passing all around us, a funny look passed over Barry's face. He asked me, Freddy, which side of the orangutan is the hairiest? I answered, the outside, of course. Thanks for listening, folks.